I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor for TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, no, his name is Jeffrey. It's Andy Greenwald. You know, I, I feel like people should know now that they're really into the TikTok, like the real like details of this podcast. And we're really opening the door. Well, no, the, this is, I, we're, we've become a traditional podcast where there's 10 minutes of, of, that's getting people, to know you banter before they, we get into our incredibly incisive takes. Four years in, they need to know us. All I'm saying is, Chris is, I think, playing mind games with me. I feel like this is a Freddy Nas and Riker situation. <laughs> because, remember... I you, have this toothbrush you guys, the man who wasn't there is playing. <laughs> you guys listened on Monday and Chris is like, so happy you're here. Welcome. This is so great. I walk in today and the first thing he says to me is, we're switching seats. Yeah. I'm taking the other seat. So now we're in different positions. I feel a little bit thrown. Yeah. And, Have you ever sat in that chair? And he keeps he keeps offering me cup of noodles, <laughs> which is the weird thing. Have I ever Just sat in this chair? Got the baby oil, we're ready to go. I've done twos of podcasts in this room, and this is two. All right, well, Have I sat in this that's chair? Good. That's I like, good. Good sample size for you. Here's the thing. It is a very Freddy move for you to have the chair that has it, the, where you, you can see the door. Yeah, and I, I have my back to the this door. This is how I, I, this is like Jason Bourne style. I need to see all the exits, all the <laughs> sight lines. Andy, we are here. It's Friday. It's the re-up. We are going to talk about a, a grab bag of stuff. We've got... We're um, excited to do this yeah, grab bag. Yeah, we've got... A couple of shows that we, like one show that's come back, Halt and Catch Fire, that we mm-hmm. wanted to chat mm-hmm. about. Got another show that we sort of didn't catch... In its arc this summer. In that it's over, but yeah, we want to talk but about it. we both have since got, come to enjoy, and that's uh, TNT's Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wanted to chat a little bit, I guess, about the Mr. Robot. I kind of am almost, at this point, a lo- I'm, I'm, I'm running out of Mr. Robot takes, but I thought this was a pretty, some stuff happened in this episode, so I thought we could chat about it to start with. I definitely want to talk about it because I, th- I think it was a noteworthy episode. I really enjoyed the episode, and I think... This is not a new observation because we're recording two days after it aired, but pretty unique that the show could do an episode without Elliot in mm-hmm. it um, at this stage in its run, but pretty noteworthy that people, I think, were a little bit relieved to have no Elliot because we were saying as recently as uh, Monday that he is, it is a unique quirk of the show that, that Elliot and Mr. Robot are now on their own show and that we are actually enjoying the Dom and Angela and Darlene adventures a little bit more. Right. So here we got him. And this was good. It was a, it had a real narrative thrust and it was sort of exciting and suspenseful and stressful. Electrifying even. A little bit electrifying. I see what you did there. That's wordplay. Yeah. I don't do wordplay anymore. I just, I just, yeah. I just speak my truth. But um, I, to have all that and then to also have the flourishes that the season has really had thanks to Sam's direction, specifically the karaoke scene. Portia Doubleday killed it. I don't know who did that particular... A little on the nose of a song choice. Yeah, but who did that vocal arrangement? I found it very moving. <laughs> um, Feist? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed that. Now, I, I have to say, as a until days ago New Yorker, uh-huh. I have not found the all-day indoor 4th of July karaoke industry to be as robust yeah as mr robot did. it's taking place in a lot more of those indoor uh skyscraper malls that i haven't taken you to yet it, down in uh down, down wilshire down yeah. in new york city yeah, no or that's where the karaoke all day yeah. karaoke is it's just like i mean it was interesting that dom a couple weeks ago or last week was like it's fourth of july i'm gonna go find a picnic and angela's like i'm gonna find a midtown pub to seal myself in right. like a panic room right with uh duck phillips from Mad Men. the timing 
I uh, was that what happens? Like, is Dom talking? Oh, that's right. She's like in the beginning of the episode. She's like, I gotta. I think it was last week, but she was saying that Fourth of July was coming. Well, because so sometimes it's, it's kind of unclear about how the timing, like the compression or expansion of like the timeline of like how many weeks or days or minutes it's, it's, have passed. It's still July. It's 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 only been two months since since the hack. <laughs> um, how did you feel about a Mr. Robot episode without Mr. Robot? Uh, it's probably my favorite Darlene episode that I've ever seen. Although. I feel weird about saying that because she kills a guy, a girl. She kills a woman. Um, and uh, I thought that the they had like a natural energy to it. And there was um, it was interesting to see those two, Darlene and Angela specifically juxtaposed. Um, kind of like what happens when these two people are untethered to Elliot completely. Um I really liked some of the some of the stuff I saw in there. I just think that it, and it made a lot of dramatic sense to have this big reveal with Elliot and then let people kind of sit with mm-hmm. that for a week and and explore what's going on with other stuff in the in the episode. I, Do you care at all? Does it change how you feel about Darlene uh, as a character that she is now officially a murderer? Change how I feel about it. Um... No, I mean, I, I, I just think that obviously the season is dedicated to going to some dark places. I think that Darlene's, the for as much as the show focuses on Elliot's particularly, particularly unique wiring, mm-hmm. Darlene's wiring is not exactly up to code either in terms sure. of um, where, the, where the emotion plug goes into the humanity cable or whatever. I don't know much about Maybe I'll learn more about wiring now that I'm, you know, living in a home <laughs> instead of an apartment. But um, my man Bob Vila, <laughs> that's just going to be me, young Bob Vila. Um, so I think that track for me. I I, I also you know really I liked. Oh, yeah, is it about wiring? It's about Mr. Robot, the TV show. Have you noticed that the three characters, the three main characters, Darlene, Angela, and and Elliot, are really more trying to avenge things that happened in their childhood than they are trying to take down late period capitalism? Yes. Yeah. I really like and that other aspect people of it too. That? I think you're the first. God damn. It's no. Great, great to be on top of this mountain. <laughs> Listen though, like that's that's that is a really good example of one of the reasons why I will still ride for the show regardless of peaks and valleys because it's not it is not like superhero crusading. The 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 politics are the convenient cudgels for these people who are still messed up with their childhood and you could make the connection that you know, Darlene and Angela are avenging things that happened to them when they were kids, old wounds that they have not dealt with. Think about what Elliot's safe space was when he was getting the living shit kicked out of him. Television. It yeah. was, you know, the TGIF block from the 90s. Yeah. Um, they're culture damaged more than anything else. And I think what the show is arguing almost more than anything else is that the the whole idea of revolution and the sort of heroism of what they did in changing the world is kind of stepped on uh, mythology. Mm-hmm. It's basically borrowed from comic books or v for vendetta or everything matrix or, or, and stuff, the matrix yeah. all the things that the show is also borrowing from that in itself is an interesting kind of comment to go on and but on another level why this episode worked this week for me was like mobley and trenton who are not major characters mm-hmm. but have been raised to more prominence this season i enjoyed that i enjoyed getting the backstory of them getting spending more time with them seeing people who have things to lose and the fact that dom is basically grasping at straws here mm-hmm. and it has really only tied him to the party as a DJ, not right. in any way. She's looking at this this slobby guy, and she's like, he can't be one of the revolutionaries, right? Basically, um, she just thinks he was there, and so she's pulling on that thread. I have a couple questions about Cisco, Darlene's on again, off again paramour. On <laughs> yeah, slash uh, uh, fungo practice. Uh, one is, what's up with his finger? 
Did not understand that. And two, they they, they, they put a, a syringe in his nail. Did they break it off in there? I guess. And was that just like a one-time motivating thing, or did they inject anything into him? I, I think it was just sort of like torture and pain and freaking him out. But to have that happen in the same episode where, um, what's her name, uh, uh, Terrell's wife? Oh yeah. Uh, has I just always call her Ilka. I don't know if that's her name. Though. Definitely not. <laughs> don't be racist against Scandinavians. No, not at all. That's but my favorite IKEA that's your, couch. <laughs> that's what I'm yeah. getting at. Um, to have that happen in the same episode where she had her dude ice the parking lot attendant with a syringe, mm-hmm. that was what was confusing about it. Uh, you know, what's also confusing is yeah. that he is dressed like he's in Leaders of the New School. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Or I thought he was dressed more like a member of the Young Black Teenagers. <laughs> Like like prime DJ Scribble. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I, again, like this is the thing though. When shows go from season one, which are focused, to season twos, which are naturally more, I'll say it again, diffuse, more spread out. You need to share the ball a little bit. Yeah. Unlike the pickup basketball players that you still have not forgiven <laughs> the show for. You, the fact you, you, that it you happened raise... in jail doesn't change the fact that those guys don't even understand no, basic pass and screen away st- fundamentals. You're still angry about it. I'm but sorry. what I'm saying is you, you, that's when a show reveals what the bench is. And it's been interesting to see who steps up and who is worthy of, mm-hmm. of, of, of getting the rock pass to. I was not personally that invested in Cisco as a character, um, but we're getting more of him. Some, something's going on. Yeah. So it, I don't know. It, 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 here, here's here's what I'll say going into whatever we're, what is coming up about Mr. Robot. I love that we're still talking about this. There is, it is such a weird show. It was always a weird show, but I think that got what got a little bit hidden last year was the thing we said was weird was how good it was. Now it was pulling it all off. Right. This is super weird that, that, that we're having these Tears for Fears karaoke scenes and 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 wicker messages on the screen and any pacemakers um, i mean i know that obviously like full disclosure we're like you're not the the normal viewer of the show i i'm i'm there's very little normal about me thanks to my wiring um yeah but yeah. by the way hacking robot returns september 7th <laughs> that's what I, I was gonna set you up for that that mm-hmm. was my little uh my, it's, it's I was, coming man um but do you think that this show now is sort of starting to get into a place where like do they have to have a big reveal every season every six episodes rob harvilla wrote a little bit about this mm-hmm. in the ringer and i thought it was really smart where he's like we're kind of now we're kind of getting into a place where there's like every five or six episodes something tells us that everything we thought was true is wrong i'm worried about that i, th- I think more than anything else that's why i was against the prison theory that proved to be not a theory because it's setting and it's sort of a weird way to be that I'm I'm worried about the show or the stakes that Sam and the people he's sure. working with are creating for themselves. But I, you, I, I think that what one wants in a show, in a relationship with a TV show, is the feeling of, of building, of momentum and of affection and of um, connection to the characters. You don't want the feeling of, um, you know, one of those carnival rides, like the, the dead drop ones, the mm-hmm. free fall ones, where it's like you go up, 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 and then you get dropped and you don't know where that's coming from. That is diminishing returns. So I worry about that. But I also don't know what the next shoe to drop would would be. I mean, everyone now knows that that Elliot. What if it's just like Russian nesting dolls, and he keeps waking up in different places? Like, and that whole thing was a dream, and that whole thing was a dream. So it's like that show Awake. Yeah, that was a that's a hot reference (laughs) for people who loved NBC shows that lasted eight episodes. So Mr. Robot obviously was a sensation in its first season, Mm -hmm. and is since I think in the second season been fair to say grappling with not not necessarily expectations, but what show it is, what it what it's what story it's trying to tell. Well, it's also this also always happens in second seasons. What always happens in TV in general, where there there 
very often is a disconnect between the show the audience thinks it's watching and the show the creator wants to make. And that leads me to Halt and Catch Fire. Oh, you're still good. You're in the you're in the wrong seat, but you're still good at segues. <laughs> because this is a sh- Halt and Catch Fire is a show where I think. So let's let's just lay it out in case. Because it's been a it's been let's a put while. our cards on the it's table. It's been a here. while since you and I talked about Chris, this. Chris, you are not a normal Halt and Catch Fire viewer. In the sense that I only do it intermittently. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, in the sense that you only do it grudgingly. <laughs> no, I actually I was surprised by watching the first episode of this season. The third season. The third season. By how much I knew. I was like, oh, I, I either by osmosis or by watching episodes here and there. Or by taking the advice everything that I was... give on my Twitter feed. Yes. About how to watch right. it. <laughs> Which is all the time. Constantly. Um and this was a show that had uh, its supporters in the first season, but I think was, you know, it got through a first season that was largely about Lee Pace and Scoot McNary's characters mm-hmm. and Mackenzie Davis and Carrie Bechet. Carrie Bechet's characters were sort it, of in the background. A period piece set in sort of a Silicon Prairie in Texas in mm-hmm. the 80s with uh, two characters trying to basically beat Apple before right. Apple was Apple. And, and, and I think it felt like a you know a, a soldered together motherboard of other prestige shows yes. period piece lee pace was basically don draper scoop mcnary wasn't really walter white but in terms of the suburban frustration you exactly. could say he was yeah so take those two characters put them in a garage see what happens the show proved to be more than that in the first season but i didn't stick with it and then the second season had this kind of incredible at least critical trampoline bounce where they switched up the p- emphasis of the show and moved it more towards the female characters and put Scoot McNary and Lee Pace's characters a little bit in the background. And the second season ended, um, spoiler, yeah, I guess, it's fine. with the characters up and moving to the real Silicon Valley yep. in San Francisco in the 80s. Yeah, and, and one of the biggest things that they did so intelligently from season one to two was season one felt a lot like period karaoke, where they were basically mm-hmm. in a garage making something that we already knew was made better by someone else. Right. Um, in the second season, the show embraced a new idea, which was it's a show about the invention of the future. So in the second season, they stumbled into social networks, basically, mm-hmm. at the very beginning of the idea of them. And in the season, they're moving into like e-commerce and these other things and, and, and internet and security privacy. and privacy, yeah. things that still resonate and you don't need to invent, quote unquote. These are just themes they're playing with. Right. Sometimes I wonder whether or not I actually care about privacy and like digital security. Do you want me to tell everyone your passwords now? That's not what I mean. I just mean I don't know if it's like, you know how it's like it's the central issue of our time? Well, I think the reason why the show is good that is that it... has nothing to do with Halt and Catch yeah. Fire. Like, I mean across the board. Like, I don't, like... You're not you're not that bothered by it? Are you going to see Snowden? The movie? Yeah. It was good. I saw it. You saw Snowden? Oh, oh, no. I thought you meant <laughs> Citizen Four, the movie about no, Snowden. No, I meant the Oliver Stone movie. 100,000 times no. <laughs> but Citizen Four was great. Yeah, I love right. Citizen Four. Who doesn't? Uh, I guess I care about digital technology. You and do privacy. care. I care about you digital work on technology. The it's just like, and they were like, you can't possibly look at these chat logs. Yeah. And I was like, oh, but you could. And wouldn't you? But it was a bigger deal then. Yeah. It's a huge deal. It's, I like this episode. I'm not, I, I was more yeah. talking generally. He, he, I, I think the show is, I think what they've done with the show is really amazing. And, and I, but I. Can I ask you though, why? Like, like here's what yeah. I want to say. Think about all of the shows, the majority of the shows we talk about on this podcast yeah. and the shows that we like. Narcos. Yes. <laughs> That's an example of one of the ones I'm saying about. Think about how many of them could plausibly introduce a gun or have a character be shot in an episode and we'd be like, that's episode four of Mr. Robot, of Narcos, of Animal Kingdom, mm-hmm. of okay, replace it with a crossbow bolt. It's Game of Thrones. Right. At this point in 2016, the hour-long dramas that we talk about, 
I'm hard-pressed thinking of one other than Halt and Catch Fire where you can't just have someone shoot someone to get the plot yeah, moving. Yeah, I'd say that about Good Wife, but they certainly went back on that. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think what Halt and Catch Fire, for me, in, in, in not just because it's a period piece that I would call it a throwback, is that it is just deeply, even the Americans, which you, you definitely don't watch, but they have guns in that show too. <laughs> Halt and Catch Fire is a throwback to me in that it is just deeply, deeply interested in tracking these characters' emotional life and doing so with very strong storytelling and mm-hmm. good character work. So it's hard to get people... You know, that's not a very sexy pitch. Yes. But when I was watching, so the premiere was, there were two hours that they put up. They put one hour up on Sunday, and they they, they aired them both, I think, the other night. Um, I watched the first one. And it's, well, in the second one, when they when there's the shootout. <laughs> with the dark army. When they find Pablo Escobar <laughs> yes. inside of a Commodore 64. It was pretty surprising. Um, you know, it, it's it follows beats where I'm like, Oh, that's that's well done. Mm-hmm. That's well, that's a that turn is well done. You know, when when because um, the show is now about uh, Carrie Bechet's character and Mackenzie Davis's character trying to build their company with venture capitalists and and Silicon Valley in a world that is still quite uh, sexist. And the character accounts, Joe but it's even, McMillan, yeah, is, so he, seems to be fully embracing the Steve Jobsian. Yes. Although, so in this show, Apple exists. Yes. So when he's doing the bit. At the Castro, and he's yeah. like, "Are you free?" Is it self-consciously like a, a mimicking Jobs, or is it kind of like I, we're taking a little bit from what Jobs would? Or yeah, would I think they're sort of winking at. It. I mean, I don't think Steve Jobs is going to show up on the show as a character. This is not turn, you know, San Fernando Valley spies. Oh, San Fernando Valley's here. Sorry, yeah. Silicon Valley spies. Um, but yeah, it, it's sort of playing with things that existed. I mean, there like Norton antivirus was a thing, and mm-hmm. he's doing Macmillan, whatever. But um, I just really enjoy the way we just stay grounded with these characters. They're a fun group to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, Toby Huss, who plays Boz, is terrific. The season begins with him singing. And all of this is to say, the obsession that people have with the show, no one, first of all, to be clear, no one is obsessed with the show. The ratings reflect that. But online, the frequency with which people ask me when I talk about it, can I start watching with season two? Can I start watching with season three? Trust me. Yes, start wherever you want mm-hmm. because you don't need to know how Walter White became Walter White. You're not going to miss the Gus season or whatever. You right. know what I mean? You're not. Right. You don't need to know how how Ramsey Bolton stopped being Ramsey Snow. Like these are about people, and there's some computers, and it's 1986. Two of the characters are married. One of them is is single. You're fine. Yeah. Just jump in and take pleasure from the show. These are not sexy talking points to get people on board, but to me, it just stands out so much from everything else because of its devotion to its characters, because it's led by these two strong female characters who basically ace the Bechdel test every time they're on screen. It's really, really engaging. How me. are you feeling about the 80s right now? As opposed to which decade? As opposed to the... The 80s are probably one of the most well-represented decades on TV, in specifically. I like the 80s on TV now because we've reached the point where the people making the shows about the 80s mm-hmm. lived in the 80s so it's not this like vh1 talking heads um nostalgia where everyone is like wearing um you know day glow hyper color shirts and listening to cindy Lauper all the time it was just kind of like like way it is now it's slightly it's, different right? exactly just a little bit less tech or whatever um in, in the americans does this i think halt and catch well, fire americans halt and catch fire stranger things yeah. uh narcos i you know in a different kind of 80s they feel they feel lived in yeah as opposed to and so and and you know i think culturally as we you know 
devour ourselves. As we start getting into 90s shows, they will at some point not just be like Nicktoons the movie, which is a thing. Right. But they'll start treating it like it was for us when we went drove to Marlton, New Jersey to buy Wu-Tang Forever. There's something about... I think that part of my block with this show has often had something to do with my age and hence my relationship to that time period. So I often don't find it's almost like, you know, how like when you go through an Epcot Center and it's just like, and here's what they thought the future was going to look like. And I I guess I kind of feel like I'm I'll I'll be slowly passed through the show and I'll be like, sure. Like, yeah, I, I, I get it. And like, that's probably like I get like I get this vision of the near future via but this I hear what you're saying. But here's why this show has been doing my head in is because when I was watching so watching the season it's 1986 and they're like you know what if what if they could have a private chat room or you mm-hmm. could trade goods on the internet and it's basically like you know what what if what if Groot make fire <laughs> in cave? Yes. But so this is 1986. Mhm. 8 years later I got on AOL and had email at home in 1994. Eight years when you're a little bit older is not a big deal at all. Eight years ago, we were like, man, Barack Obama might be president. That would be interesting. Yeah. For us, now that we're a little bit uh, more mature. Seasoned veterans, seasoned seasoned players. Eight years is literally nothing. So to realize that these people really are on the cusp of it. The character, the new character in season three of Halt, Ryan says in the second hour, you know, something's coming. I don't know what it is, but I need to be on board to, to see it. Thinking about it through that prism kind of made me excited. Like, oh, he re- this really was the ground floor. There was a continuum of when they were just playing with these blocky pixels and then suddenly became, you know, um, you know, doxing celebrities. Like, yeah, there's a straight exactly. line to that. It's a really a wonderful thing they're inventing. All right. Um, well, I mean, we'll, we'll keep talking about it. I'll keep checking it out. Will you keep checking it out? Yeah, sure. It's, it's tough. I've got nothing else going on. But it is a tough... <laughs> is that true? No. It is a tough... Um, it's a tough show to... Have put in the regular rotation on a podcast because it does precisely for the same well, reasons I think why also I like that, it. I mean, it's it's also you're talking about how it's like a throwback. I I think that guns and stakes and violence and melodrama have always played a huge role in in hour long dramas on television. Yes, but the thing it's actually a throwback to also is it's almost dark in how. I don't mean to like denigrate anybody's contributions, but it does not visually look like a lot of what we consider prestige television right now. I mean, it's very straightforward. Yeah. You know, like your usual, like how you would assume a film, to, like a television plot, like show would look and not like girlfriend experience and not like even Mr. Robot, Mr. Robot or, or night of, or any of these shows or even game of Thrones. I mean, it, and it has nothing to do with production value. It has everything to do with just like, it's, it's fairly like there's a kitchen. There are three people in the kitchen. Here's a shot of one person and another I, and another, you know, it, it's de- the visuals are not the priority. I would say it's not visually dynamic yeah. in that way, but it, 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 you're right. It's hard to say this without sounding pejorative, but I feel like, I really like that the sh- it is a modest show mm-hmm. in terms of its in, t- in terms of the size of the story it's telling, but it's playing with very big ideas. But you it think that they'll focused. bring it back for a fourth season? This has been interesting. Can I, I mean, start on the fourth season? <laughs> first of all, uh, at me, and I'll get back to you. Um, the third season was kind of a shock because the ratings were so low, although the critical response was big. And I had Joel Stillerman, who's the head of AMC, on the podcast to talk to him about it like the day they announced the renewal, Mm -hmm. he was basically saying, look, we found a way to make this work. We own the show. It films in Atlanta. There's tax breaks. Um, And what he's making is a bet on, well, two things. Like 
The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. And so you have some extra money to play with, especially if you're chasing some critical prestige. But I think the more interesting comment he made to me is that he's trying to chase a future, a financial future that isn't here yet, in which having five, I don't know how many, potentially four or five. Preacher, Halt, The Two Walking Deads. But not just the shows. What I mean is having potentially at the end of this four or five seasons of Halt and Catch Fire, a critically acclaimed drama that was consistent throughout, having those in your library, your content library, when AMC networks inevitably go over the top and you're subscribing, so that when you subscribe to, to AMC networks in whatever form it takes, one of the boxes on your screen is Halt and Catch Fire, and someone's like, oh, I heard that's pretty good. That's worth having, in the same way that Netflix is just acquiring things. He's making that bet. Let me ask you, in that hypothetical world mm-hmm. in which we're starting to build up this stuff, is it almost useful to have something that's set in the 80s? Is it almost useful to have these period pieces where they don't feel dated? So if in five years, let's say, um, if you go to if you had HBO Go or whatever mm-hmm. and you you dial up six feet under. First of all, you shouldn't do HBO Go on dial up. And I'm saying that not as a You know, and you employee, sit around for about three employee. or four hours and you wait for <laughs> half of, of an episode of six feet under. To, you would not get half. You would get three feet under. Yeah. Um, like, does six feet under look dated now in a way that because it was contemporary set when it was on in the earlier part of the 2000s. But a show like Halt and Catch Fire, these period pieces feel a little bit more like, yeah, you can put these in a box and you can watch them in five years or in 10 years or in two days. Yeah. And they're always going to feel like fine and fresh. I think that's, I think there are definitely people who are very well paid to consider those things when they're, when they're advising. I mean, think about how many, like how many, I, it feels like a lot of stuff is period now. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's a very good reason why. I mean, I think that you have, because they do focus group everything. And when you're at the top of a network making these decisions, you are making these decisions in multiple time periods, not 80s, 90s, but for this year, for next year, and for 10, 20 years from now. And so you want things that could potentially be evergreen. You want things that deal with themes or ideas or guns or whatever, whatever that seem like topics people continually are interested in. There's no, no question about that. Okay, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back, finish up, talk about Animal Kingdom. Hey guys, just want to tell you about our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts can be a confusing process, and it has been for a long time. You know, it's always hard to find the best deal for that game or that show you want to go to, and those older ticket sites don't want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place that I go to look for tickets for a game or a concert. I was just I was just checking SeatGeek recently on my phone the other day to look for FYF tickets because uh, I really wanted to go see Young Thug and Father John Misty. Uh, with SeatGeek, you'll never need to waste time checking prices on other ticket sites because SeatGeek does that for you by pulling all tickets available on all those other sites, puts them in one place so you save time and you never miss a deal. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, listeners of The Watch get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and add a promo code, and then enter the promo code WATCH. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code WATCH today. Also want to tell you guys about Backblaze. Backblaze is unlimited cloud backup for Macs and PCs for just $5 a month. Backblaze backs up your documents, projects, music, photos, videos, all of your data, and you can access that data anywhere in the world or on the web with iOS and Android apps. 
Backblaze backs up over 250 petabytes of data. That's a lot. That's over 250,000 terabytes. Over 15 billion files are stored by Backblaze, and that's a lot of data that folks got back. There's no gimmicks or additional charges. It's just $5 a month for unlimited, unthrottled off-site backup. Make sure you visit backblaze.com slash the watch so they know where you came from and continue to support the show. Start a fully featured 15-day free trial at backblaze.com slash the watch. All right, so... Um, a couple weeks ago, Andy was just like when he, when Andy was coming out to Los Angeles. <laughs> it was only a week ago. It was only it feels a week like ago. forever. Andy was like, "Have you seen Animal Kingdom?" Which is something I should have seen. And you know, the, actually, connection between Animal Kingdom mm-hmm. and uh, Halt and Catch Fire. Jonathan Lisko, who show ran the first season, two seasons, two seasons. So yeah, Halt and Catch Fire was created by two dudes named Chris Cantwell and Rogers, and they created the show, but they had not. They weren't. They had didn't have the experience to run the show, mm-hmm. so they brought in this guy Jonathan Lisko to run the show. By all accounts, that was a fruitful union. Sometimes yeah. those things are not. Then after the second season, Lisko went to develop uh, Animal Kingdom for TNT, and the Chris's were promoted to run their own show. Right, and this is Animal Kingdom is uh run, so it's based on David Bichot's Australian crime film. It starred Guy Pearce. It's awesome. Jackie Mendelssohn, Weaver, right? Men- was, was that uh, yeah, the Mendelsohn coming out of Mendelssohn? Yeah, and it's a great movie if you haven't had a chance to see it. But they've transported the show from Australia to Oceanside, California, which yeah. is this supposed to be like kind of San Diego-ish. Yeah. Uh, and it stars uh, Ellen Barkin as the matriarch of a of a family of robbery committing surfers. Surfer dudes. And among and she has two sons. Um, well, she has a bunch of sons, but Scott Speedman plays the, the sort of the adopted oldest son. Right. And then uh, there's a kid who is her grandson who on the, in the first episode, the pilot episode, is brought into this world, and we kind of are introduced to this family via this kid. I, I want to talk about the show on a number of levels. First, I want to ask you, why did we just not see this show? I think it was just Game of Thrones time, honestly. Yeah, there's just too much. I'm pretty sure it came on around the NBA yes. Finals, or they were using the NBA Finals to throw to it, and I, yeah. I remember just being like between the NBA playoffs and Game of Thrones, I just didn't brain space for it and and we're we're supposed to be following this stuff sure yeah. and it's very very hard for anything to get any kind of traction i think also there's tnt bias yeah yeah i mean i don't watch last ship um i love resilient isles i have a resilient isles tumblr but... who do you prefer though <laughs> like who, could you imagine Rizzoli without isles <laughs> i can't i can't do it i'm an isles man myself. i won't do it i've always been an isles man um but, but this is all part of... So Kevin Riley, who used to run Fox, took over the Turner channels yes. and is attempting to rebrand them, much in the same way USA is being rebranded after Mr. Robot. And um, so like the TBS uh, comedy brand, they're trying to new, do new stuff with, and that's yes. the Samantha Bee Show and The Detour, which we really liked a lot. And so Animal Kingdom is sort of the big, splashy, like, no, we're not going to do... This is Last Ship, yeah. Well, I think Last Ship predates it. Okay. Last, last Ship is kind of more the older regime. I would say that um you know how they used to USA used to be blue skies. Yeah. I think that it's almost like nice dusk is the is the TNT thing where it's the old one or the the new one. Well, I cuz I I do actually think Last Ship and Animal Kingdom are connected in the sense that it is like really attractive people doing somewhat dark stuff yeah. but softened by very it, traditional TV tropes which I'm going to get into with Animal Kingdom. I agree with you. So I think, so this show ended, the season ended. I think people should seek it out because I had a lot of fun watching it and I want to watch the whole season. But maybe we should start top down because I think that we probably both agree that I wish the show was on Cinemax or something sure. like that. Because we, we mentioned Although Jonathan Lisko. I don't imagine it being that much. It, 
Yeah, I, I know what you're going to say, though. Go so ahead. Jonathan Lisko developed it, but the the, the 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 godfather of the show is is John Wells, mm-hmm. who is just a maestro of West Wing network ER, television ER, yeah. um, and he's been doing Shameless. He's also, by the way, the uh, director of Chef, the greatest film of oh, yeah. the last twenty <laughs> years. Right. But he, um, sorry, it wasn't called Chef; it was Burnt. called uh, Burnt, not Adam Jones. By the way, a bunch of folks were watching that on the airplane around me, and I still couldn't believe it was real. I just watched. Were they all weeping? Or? When Bradley Cooper, first of all, just Bradley Cooper, long pause. Let's just talk about that. But the scene when Bradley Cooper aggressively tastes Sienna Miller's sauce, when he walks into the kitchen, no metaphors. This is this is just yeah, what life no, is like in real. the hot kitchen. And he just does the double dip, and then the fingers suck, and he looks at her, and he's like, acceptable? Can you just imagine, like, and I wanted that scene, but David O. Russell directing it during I Heart Huckabees. He, he would then just like pour it all over <laughs> the, Lily Tomlin yes. and just been like, get off the set. Yes, it doesn't. You haven't been funny since Gong Show. It's too acidic. Yeah. Uh, you haven't been funny since fucking Aloha. <laughs> uh, right. So, but he also does Shameless. And we we never talk about Shameless on the show. And, and one of the reasons why, and it's the same reason when I wrote about it for Grandland, which is Shameless is just 100% B plus fine. It is the best vehicle for someone who's good at network TV to function in a post-network era. Yes. Because on Shameless is essentially a, a family drama from the 80s, except they're doing cocaine and drinking themselves to death. Right. Animal Kingdom, to me, it bumps up against where, like some potentially dangerous places, and it doesn't go to them. And I don't know if that's bad because no, it's so here's keeping the, me entertained. I would definitely say that, um, let's say if you've been watching Mr. Robot season two, and you feel like it's dragging mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or you feel like you're kind of like, I don't really understand what's going on or like, I don't understand why I should care about this, that or the other. Like, there is a lot of like empty space in Mr. Robot. That's obviously what they're trying to do with it this season. And I would say the same thing goes for Night Of where there's just like mm-hmm. it lingers for some some time. That is not a problem for Animal King. No. Annie Kings does not care about that. No. So... I would say that there are flashes of like collateral era Michael Mann in there and it's got a lot of really cool vibes, but you are never in the dark in this show. It is like, here's what's happening. Here's where it's going. Here's what people's motivations are. Scene, scene, scene. But it does that in a very artful way. Absolutely. It's a TV skill that we, as you just cited, we don't really celebrate or even notice as much anymore as it's become more auteurist in, um, in its, in its uh, narrative and in its, in its um, direction. This is, the th- I, and I've never, I've never, I don't know the man. I don't know John Lisko. Don't know him. But coming <laughs> off of Halt and Catch Fire and the way we were talking about it, I give him a lot of credit and John Wells for the way they are unspooling the story yeah. because you feel like you're in the hands of people who know what they're doing. The pacing is really good. The amount of information we get to in the pilot and then in the second episode the reveals of, oh, that's that character's motivation. That's who that yeah. guy might be. That's what he's hiding is done in such an entertaining way. There are two moments in the pilot, which is, uh, you know, I think we could just limit our conversations to that just so that people don't feel like we're jumping too far ahead on it. Maybe we'll come back to it in a couple of weeks if people check it out. But there's two moments in the pilot that I wanted to point out because they're like very, this is there. It's the difference between the show being on TNT and the show being on Cinemax or HBO or something like that. One is um, a party that's being held at Ellen Barkin's house. <laughs> yeah. And you're supposed to just feel like this kid who is coming from a pretty poor background. His mother was a drug addict. Josh. Yeah, Jay. Josh. Jay. 
is now like in this completely new world where everything is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. People are doing drugs and but recreationally, and you know there's like all these girls around, and there's this pool, and they're all diving off the top of the garage into the pool, and they're, it's pretty dangerous. They're doing it almost famous. Yeah, and you know, as a viewer of television, of so much television, whoever you are, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you watch a lot of TV, you understand what you're supposed to think about this. Mm-hmm. But then they put on like bad red hot chili peppers to make sure you know. Yeah. And it's just like that one extra thing where it's like it's a really jarring moment because the other parts around it are actually quite subtle and actually pretty yeah. cool and stylized. But then it's like someone somewhere was like, these we're not gonna know who these guys are unless late period Lincoln Park is. Unless someone's slapping that bass yeah, exactly. with a DJ scratching. Unless like, DJ Scribble shows up. This kid is in a new world and we need to show it. Yeah, um, that, and then there's another moment when they are um, during this first heist, uh, then and the way that they're going to get away with it is by setting up some other people, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the way they do it is like very step by step, kind of cool to watch, and maybe this is just as you know, we watch a lot of shows that involve crime, so obviously we can kind of see the stitching, but I think a lot of people besides us can do that too, and I think it's really interesting. There is a v- I, I wonder even if it was recorded when they did it, but there is a character who says, like, make sure you move those guys into the van so that their DNA is all over the place. Yeah. And nobody would say that. No. You would know that characters would know that doing it. And we can kind of tell. And if not, it would be revealed later that, on. That, that but is that ne- is the TNT thing. It's like, why are we watching this? They don't know. Let's tell them. That's networky. Yeah. That's network. That's noted. That's yeah. been noted. And that's John. What's John Wells's background? That's Kevin Riley's background. Um, it, that makes sense. I mean, the 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 Cliff's Notes pitch for this show basically is it's the OC, but Ryan went down instead of up. Yes. He was in Chino and he was not doing great. And then whatever below Chino. And then yeah. Sandy Cohen got sideswiped on the 405, didn't make it down, <laughs> and instead, you know, he's with these guys. He's with Ellen Barkin. He's with the wrong, the wrong saviors. Um, that in and of itself, I, I'm already watching the show off that pitch, to be yeah. honest. And I think that one of the things that it does well is a sense of place. Um, one of my favorite shows, Great Lost, uh, Gone Too Soon Terriers, mm-hmm. was set down there. Similarly, like th- there's something about the setting. You feel it. You feel the way he's riding bikes down to the beach and the way the houses look and the way his, girlfriend's live in a, his girlfriend lives in a, a higher class neighborhood and mm-hmm. the way that looks out over a hill over the ocean as opposed to where they are. And even in that world, the montage, the surfing montages, like the point break moments. Yeah. Oh, come on, locals only, bro. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm into it because I mm-hmm. like being taken away to that world. I, th- I would say the other limitation in terms of um, it being a little bit more networky and just being them trying to make this during peak TV is is casting. I think the casting is fine across the board. Mm-hmm. But there are some parts that I think really could have sparked with had they gotten the first person they'd gone after or the fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even going to name names because you can watch it and you can see that some some performances are high, are so far anyway of a higher caliber than others. Bono um, was busy. Bono... <laughs> Yo, <laughs> I'm just saying Bono could have shown up in there. No, but you couldn't have done Barkin. Barkin is... No, I'm is... thinking more for the Speedman role. Okay, for real though, <laughs> I love Speedman. I am a Speedman Yo, head. Let's put this to bed. Yeah. And 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 I'm saying this as someone... Do it. Who... Can, can, we, can we be honest, Tate? Yeah. We see... I see Scott Foley, man. I see you. 
You see they him shoot Shonda shows on the lot where we work as the rare website. I thought I was based. here and for how to get away to with murder season back. three. I'm not trying to call dudes out. Scott Foley does his thing. He holds it down. Yeah. I don't like Scott Speedman though. It's what about Speedman though? Here's what I'm saying. <laughs> it has always been Speedman. Like I'm sorry, Norhead. Sorry. sorry. It's yeah. all about Ben. Yeah. It is. Let me tell you something about Scott Speedman. When this, I was watching the, I didn't know he was on the show. I watched this, I watched this show this on Delta. This is as excited as I've seen you in such a long time. When our man Jay goes to his grandma's house yeah. and they're just a bunch of like golden gods there doing yes. backflips off the pool. I was like, and he's, she's like, don't you remember your uncles? I'm like, those two hairy dudes are his uncles. Who is this young Adonis? Yes. Who is this 20 year old who's going to be his blood rival? And I was like, oh, that's Speedman oh, though. That's Speedman though. That guy's over 40 and he's just killing it yeah and he picks his spots you don't see speedman up in every show nope he's very very choosy in is fact, that what it is <laughs> <laughs> don't 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 slow down my tasting sp- menu don't slow down my speedman <laughs> all right look all the real speedheads know the yeah. speed addicts maybe they've are seen- you a speedman freak here's how here's here's how you know a real speedman freak have you seen Barney's version? No, I've seen Strangers though, but you haven't. I don't even know what you're I'm talking not about. I'm checkmating you. I'm just saying. I just like, think you I should see Barney's even, version. Don't come to me and be like, "Have you seen this Speedman thing?" Because I'm asking you, "Have you seen that?" Speedman I came thing? to you as a friend, <laughs> as a colleague, as a coworker. You have me with my back to the door here. Scott Foley could walk in here any moment and fucking brown bag me, which is not black bagging. Brown bagging is when you pick up some nice things at the co-op yeah. like avocados classic Noel, and you take them home classic which is what no would do that's what no would do he wouldn't get people's dna <laughs> up in his minivan or whatever Noel's driving in 2016 when speedman's like when that dude is like busting speedman's chops and speedman turns to him yeah. he's like say it to my face yes do you know in episode you- three when speedman goes to mexico <laughs> he doesn't go to mexico like other people go to no. mexico like Noel. Noel would go to like senor frogs yeah he would maybe have a little too much reposado <laughs> and it would be a funny story yeah when they looked through the the iphone photo montage of what he did the face he would you know what he would click yes to the facebook montage of that trip <laughs> he'd be like great idea speedman's like what's facebook exactly Noel's like, thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. You've yeah. made this easier for me. Speedman's like, I got this instant camera and I taped them to pieces of paper. Or he's on Wicker. I don't know. I don't know what his interaction with the world is. Maybe that's why he's not getting the parts. Speedman's peach only. Speedman, what if, would it be a really weird choice if Scott Speedman was actually like Bill Murray and he's like, I don't have an agent. I don't even have a phone. You basically, I see Scott Speedman in L.A. Wait, like that, not that that's a metaphor not in the sense that every man tries to look like him because let's talk about how that dude is aged very well didn't i just say that when i called him a golden teenage adonis <laughs> who basically catfished me because he's a 42 year old man who is on felicity did i not make it clear how handsome he is do you think speedman is like is it like a variation on buttoning is he on benjamin buttoning like is he just getting hotter Yes. First yeah. of all, yes. Juliet would say yes. I would imagine too. I, I, I think, think those girls. I think Amanda and Juliet likes Foley though. They're dead to me. They're I'm dead sure. to me. Go to the co-op. Listen, we live in a city now. Go to the co-op. What are you talking about? Brown bagging. Okay. Keep up. <laughs> you. We now live here in a city of speed boys. Yeah. There's only one. There's speed only man. one speed man. That's what the. What, you want to know when DC Comics is going to fix their fucking IP <laughs> when they introduce Speed Man? I don't think <laughs> anyone. Scott Speed. I don't think anyone's bloodstream is ready for it. No. But 
can we actually? I, 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 I don't. Was, you want to go back to talking about Animal Kingdom? I almost did. I almost brought it back to like a conversation. Back. We got to go out the way Speedman would go out on his best point. Covered in DNA. Deuces. Covered in DNA. Heading to Mexico with an instant camera and a and a, <laughs> a, a Kawasaki that he built himself. And no LTE connection on his phone. Exactly. Just a flip phone. Just a flip phone and a dream. <laughs> All right. We'll be back on Monday to talk about the season finale of Night of. And until then, have a great weekend. Great job, Speedman! Speedman! <laughs>